for several weeks, probably even a month or more, we've been talking about uh, uh, My Hope America, Billy Graham's vision for churches across America to share the good news, the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ uh, with those in our nation who do not have uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and who do not have the hope and meaning and purpose in life that He brings and who do not have hope of eternity in heaven. So I'm hoping that we will be uh, one church out of many thousands that will partner uh, with this and be a part of this and that perhaps even millions of believers joining together to share our faith and the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. Last week uh, while I was out, Ken Owens preached for you and, and uh, he uh, preached on a familiar story and then talked about the fact that, that while that was a defining moment for those disciples, that this My Hope America could be a defining moment for our nation. Because we might not have another opportunity to see a great revival or a great uh, rebirth or spiritual renewal, a change certainly in the direction that America is going now. Uh, we might not have that opportunity again. And this is a great united front of it. Billy Graham brings credibility to it. Uh, that's just something about him all through his life. And as he approaches his 95th birthday, uh, there's, there's been no blot against his record. And so I think there's a lot of name recognition as well, as well as his character. And so it stands for itself. And America needs hope. America needs the hope that can be found only in Jesus Christ, where they can find uh, direction and guidance for life and a purpose and meaning in life. And I think if you look with me at the landscape of our culture, you would agree with that. Um, I'm, am, I, am I reading through the Bible this year? Uh, I'm in, into Jeremiah, almost finished it. But uh, a week or so ago one night, I was reading in the, uh, in the eighth chapter, and there were two verses that just literally jumped out of me out of Jeremiah 8. And Jeremiah 8, 12 asks this question and, makes us, and answers it. It says, are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. Now, I think that's an apt description of America today, just like it was for, for Israel, Palestine, back in the day that Jeremiah was the prophet. Sin had become so rampant and so accepted by everybody that there were no moral absolutes. There were absolutely no taboos against anything. You did what you wanted to and it did not matter. And sin had gotten so rampant that nobody even blushed about it. You know, I'm not that old that, that I can't remember back to when television was pretty clean. And it's not now. If you watch the regular channels, which I don't do, find something else on, on some alternate channels. I don't watch it at all. Read a good book. But you know what's happened through our culture and our society today. What one generation tolerates, the next one will embrace. And I think it has gotten to the point where sin is being glorified through the fact that you don't blush about anything anymore. Nothing embarrasses us. Shameful behavior, sinful behavior, all of that is a part of our lifestyle today. And I will confess to you that there are some times that I wonder what our future really is going to be. And I really wonder that for my grandchildren. And what kind of environment would they grow up in? And if, they, uh, if God allows us to live that long in this nation to exist, what kind of world would their children come into? And I have a great burden about that for our country. And that's why my hope America could be a great defining moment for America as we share that hope. Then there was a second verse in Jeremiah 8 that caught my attention. And I think this really gets to the core of the problem as to why 
we have so much sin and nobody, nobody blushes about it, it's just being accepted. Uh, Jeremiah 8.20 reads this, The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Listen to that again. The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. See, there are millions and millions of people in this country of ours who are lost. That means they don't have Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, they might be religious, but they're not Christian. Now, they're a world of religions that have come and flooded our culture today. Now, here's the intent of this message today, and I'll also remind you of it along and along. And that is that if there's going to be a great spiritual awakening or a spiritual renewing or a sense of revival that takes over our nation, and we start to see inroads where we're claiming back our culture through the faith and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has to come from the church. And if it comes from the church, it has to come from people who have a firm commitment, a solid commitment, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is genuine. And so what my concern is, is that we make sure that we are in that faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that while we're talking about reaching out and sharing the hope of Christ, we need to make sure that every one of us has that hope of Christ in our life, that we have made that decision, that we're not just religious people and lost, but that we are religious in the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we are saved from our sins and we're living for the glory of God and we're fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You see, that's why America needs, needs our commitment. We've got to know where we stand with Christ. I don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. I don't want us to assume that everybody here is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus shares some harsh words out of Scripture uh, that we're going to look at right now from which I think we can find uh, three things that would really challenge us about whether we're just religious and lost or whether we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. Matthew uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now what Jesus is really warning us about here is about the situation that's the title of the sermon, and that is about being religious, but, about, but at the same time being lost. So you can be religious it's not the same thing as being a follower of Christ. There are any number of religions that you can follow. But following after Christ is the only one that puts you in a relationship with God. Now when you look at what Jesus is saying, he uses some catch words that would get their attention. He talks about wolves coming in sheep clothing. He talks about checking the fruit. By the fruit they will be known. 
And then he talks about the ultimate time of judgment that will come. One of the saddest things that's described, I think, in Scripture where people come and thinking that they have known Christ and they're going to be ushered into the, into the glory of heaven. And he says, I never knew you. I, you didn't have a relationship with me. And we don't want that to happen. I found a word this week that a pastor in Texas, David Dykes in Tyler, Texas, used. He came up with uh, a new word. And, and I did some research and discovered that every year about two to 300 new words are added to our vocabulary. One of the recent ones a few years ago added was swipe out. You know what that is? You know what that's about? That's about when you've used your credit card and your debit card so much that that magnetic thing on the side of it that makes it work somehow is rubbed off. That's a swipe out. That's a new word in our, in our vocabulary. Well, he came up with a new word to describe people who were religious but lost. And we got that up here for you to look at. Religious plus lost equal religiosity. Religiosity. And folks, that's a, that's a terrible problem. That there are a lot of people who are religious, but they're lost. They think they're going to heaven, but they're not. They're lost. They're suffering from religiosity. Now, what's the difference? Well, religion has always been the attempt of man to reach up somehow to God, to do, do, do enough good works, to give enough money, to, to be good enough and moral. And if that was good enough, God never would have sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in that horrible death, would he? See, that's not good enough. That's religion. In fact, when you understand that it comes from two Latin words, re meaning repeat, and a word legere, from which we get the word ligament, uh, it means the, the ligament ties your, your muscles to your bones, then we've got a relationship there that ties our hands and binds us and ties us down. We don't have a relationship with God. You've got a religion. Then I want to share with you a second word. I really like this word. Reggie Levesque sent this one to me today, by, this week by email. And he said a pastor friend, I think it was in North Carolina, came up with this word. A bibliophobia. You ever heard of that? A bibliophobia. The fear of biblical truth upsetting your delusion. Now, that one needs to ring true with you. Because a lot of people living in this nation are living under the false delusion that they are saved and that they are righteous and they're born again and they're going to spend eternity in heaven and all they are are religious, but they're lost. You need not to be a victim of a bibliophobia, but you need to be one who lets it expose to you your delusion, your delusion. And so as we look today, we're going to find Jesus talking to us about some ways that we can look at our life, three very quickly, to know whether we are religious but lost. Now, first of all, he says, if you are good outwardly but inwardly unclean, you are religious but lost. Jesus said, watch out for the false prophets. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but really they're ferocious wolves. That really wasn't you with Jesus. That had been around for a while. In fact, you might remember one of Aesop's fables where a wolf is stalking a flock of lambs and he finds the carcass of a, of a lamb. And he puts that on, thinking that that will help him infiltrate the flock of lambs and he can easily get his supper. And at the same time, the shepherd is coming to pick out a lamb so that he can slaughter it for his supper. And he sees that wolf moving around thinking that it's a sheep and he grabs it and it cuts its throat. And the moral of that story should be true to us, that you can't masquerade. Something's going to happen. 
Truth is always going to win out. That's the truth. truth will always win out. But sometimes it takes a while. And so Jesus is telling us about this, about be, be aware of those who will come to you as false prophets and lead you astray. And that's one of the problems we have about all the different religions that people have embraced in our culture today. Jesus applied that whole thing to our spiritual sense. And he says there will be people who will appear to be docile as lambs and yet they will explode with all kinds of things because that's what's inside them. They don't have the spirit of God and they will explode with all kinds of venom. I've seen that happen before and I mean literally at times I, it took me back. And I've never been so disappointed as when there were people who I thought had a wonderful, gentle, docile Christian spirit and something in the church didn't go their way. And they were in my office and I mean not only was the spit flying, but I felt like, I felt like venom was flying across that room. And I said, dear Lord, can these people be the same people that I saw every day for the rest of them uh, 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 leading up to this time? That's what Jesus is warning about. You might be righteous on the outside, but on the inside you're unclean. You're religious, but you're lost. He talked about the Pharisees, and he said they were like a dirty cup. It was clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. Now, when we drink a cup of coffee, what part of the cup do you want to be clean, inside or outside? I want the whole thing to be clean, don't you? You'll put the coffee inside, you're going to put your lips and mouth on, on the outside. You want the whole thing clean. That's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. You're just putting on airs. You're clean on the outside, but on the inside? He also said you're like whitewashed tombs full of nothing but bones and rotten and decay. Now, while that play appears that Jesus is applying this to a lot of false prophets, and we have to watch out for that because he talked about the fact that they would come, it also talks to us. We've got to look very seriously at our own lives. He's not talking about atheists. He's not talking about agnostics. He's talking about people in church every day who think that they are good. And you think that they are righteous and think that they are religious, but they're lost. They're religious, but they're lost. Now, when he talks about false prophets, and there are a lot of them out there that have led people astray, the Bible gives us basically two ways in which we can identify a false prophet. Number one, is a false prophet will make predictions that do not come true. Do not come true. And secondly, they are always obsessed with agreed for money. You watch most televangelists, and that's what comes across more than anything else. They'll sell you this little healing cloth. They'll sell you a bottle of oil, anointing stuff, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're just out there. They're out there, and they prey on gullible people. That's why Billy Graham has such integrity that I think he'll be recognized in this country. And my hope that he, he presents is going to have credibility to it. But the warning also to us is to make sure that while we might not be false prophets and leading people astray, that we're not just mere religious on the outside and dead spiritually on the inside. That we've got to look at our lives. And a simple way to simply answer that as you look at your heart is to simply say, have I come to that point in my life? Have I reached a place in my life where I, I realized that I was a lost sinner and I was condemned about my sin and I was burdened about my sin and I cried out to God for deliverance and, and through the blood of Jesus Christ I believed that the sacrifice on the cross that he made would forgive me of my sins and you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and you've entered into a relationship with him. 
See, it's only by doing that and being baptized and following after him that you have a relationship with Christ rather than having a religion and being lost. So you need to look at yourself and ask yourself that question. The second thing Jesus says is this. If you do not produce kingdom fruit, you're religious, but you're lost. Jesus said, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. It makes sense with what he's saying. We can understand that. He said, you can't pick grapes from thorn bushes. It's a plant that only produces a fruit after its own nature. See, an apple hangs on an apple tree because at the very heart and center of an apple tree is the identity of an apple. And that's all that it's going to produce. What he's talking about is looking at people's lifestyle. I'm saying if they're not really producing kingdom fruit, and if you're not producing kingdom fruit, then you might be religious, but you're lost. So what is the fruit that he's talking about? I think it's twofold. One, I think it has to do with our character, and the other has to do with what we do for the kingdom with lost people. So when it talks about our character, I think he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, who does that describe? Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, look at the life of Jesus, and he was the epitome of those nine characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do we have that developed in our life? We don't do it on our own. You remember John 15 when Jesus talked about the vine? He talked about abide in me, abide in the vine. He's the vine. Abide in him, arrest in him, be united to him, be in relationship with him, and the Holy Spirit works in our life to produce that fruit. That's the only way it's produced in our life. So it talks about our character, our nature, and who we are. It also talks about the fruit that we need to be producing by bringing people into the kingdom of God. You need to have your faith. If it's a genuine faith, you need to have it reproduced. And, and the way that you do that is you share your faith in Christ. You identify people who do not know Christ. You come to know them. You build a relationship with them. And then you share hope in Jesus Christ. That's what my Hope America is all about. Is that we're sharing our faith and the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ with those who do not have it. And if you're religious but lost, you don't have that to share. See, and if you haven't produced fruit in your life up until now, chances are you're not going to produce it during this time, until you turn your life over completely to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life in the way that He chooses to produce that fruit of the Spirit. But the key to all of it is, in John 15, is you have to abide in Christ. He's the vine. We're the branches. We have to abide in Him or remain in Him. That means have a relationship with Him. If the branch doesn't have a relationship with the vine, what is it? It's dead. And it's not going to produce any fruit. And Jesus says, by your fruit you will be known. Now here's the third thing Jesus says. If you do good deeds, but you do not know Jesus, you're religious, but you're lost. See, if you're good at religious language and activities, but you don't know Jesus, you can be classified religious, but you're lost. So Jesus looked into the future until the time would come for the final judgment, the final exam. And Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Now you think about these people. They did some incredible things. And Jesus says, no, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's intriguing, isn't it? That they said, you know, we followed after you, Lord. 
They said, we talked the talk, but Jesus is saying you didn't walk the walk. And that is intriguing. That They says they even jumped into some uh, exotic religious activities like trying to cast out demons and perform miracles. The bottom line of it, though, is that Jesus says, I don't know you. You didn't form a relationship with me. You didn't call on me. I'm not your Savior. I'm not your God. And when you look at people who do good deeds and yet you know that they're lost, it reminds me of the story of a $20 bill. So the $20 bill was in circulation for a while, and it did some good. Uh, it helped to feed a hungry family, bought a barefoot boy some shoes. He found its way into church in the offering plate where it went to help pay the light bill. And then ultimately it ended up in the local bank where a very, very uh, shrewd teller noticed that it was not a real $20 bill. It was counterfeit. And all that they did with that $20 bill was they took it and they burned it. You see, if you are not real, if you're a counterfeit and you've done all these kinds of good stuff, you know what? It's not going to get your eternity in heaven. You're not going to die of a relationship with Christ. Good works don't save anybody. The book of James ought to tell you that good works follow when you know Christ. You know, that's practical. And let me remind you again, the people Jesus is talking to and the people I'm talking to, you, you're not atheists and agnostics. You're not filing suit against church and, and against public prayer and using the ACLU. But you're somebody perhaps who thinks you're saved and thinks that you're going to heaven. And Jesus says, I don't know you if it would be the judgment seat tonight. So how do you know him? In John 17, on that great high priestly prayer, he prayed the night before he was, was crucified. Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay, when you become a real Christian and a follower after Christ, you have a relationship with Christ. You not only talk the talk, you know how to walk the walk. You don't talk about the fact, I joined the church. I said, when we go to share Jesus Christ, we're not, going to, we're not going to share with them about church. Now, we're going to be coming from Spring Valley, and we want to reach people through the for Spring Valley Baptist Church. But we're not out there promoting a church. We're promoting Jesus, right? So we need to be able to talk about the fact, I committed my life to Jesus Christ, and he brought hope and peace and comfort and joy into my life. And you share how that happened and, and what difference he means in your life now. And then you start talking about the way that I continue to grow in my faith and the way that I, I'm encouraged in my faith and the way I learn to share my faith is that I'm a member of Spring Valley Baptist Church. That's where I worship together, where I attend a Bible study class together, where I go to small groups and, and, and learn and study and I get stronger in my faith. See, that's how you weave it in there. But first and foremost, it's about Jesus and the kingdom of God. So you might be religious, but you could be lost. One of my favorite um, evangelists from, a, from years gone back is a man by the name of Vance Havner, very centric guy. Um, he was known for going around as a itinerant preacher, married late in life, didn't, didn't have a, a long time with his wife, and she died, and I don't even know whether he ever learned to drive. Uh, went by trains and all that back in those days. One time, well, two stories stand out to me. One time he was a church preacher in revival, and and after the service, a little lady came up to him and she said, I just want you to know, preacher, that I don't drink and smoke and cuss and chew. And Vance Hadner said, that's good, lady, neither does a fence post. So what he was trying to get across to her, well, what do you do for the kingdom of God? You know, the Christian life is not just what you don't do. 
but it's about what you do. But the one that I like the best is he told a story about a woman who was sitting at home one day and the front doorbell rang and she went to the door. Nice looking man at the door, so she opened the door, didn't open the other screen door, had it locked, whatever. And the man said, Lady, I just want to ask you a question. He said, Do you know Jesus Christ? And she slammed the door. Late that afternoon, her husband came home and found her just tearful, sitting on the couch. And he said, Honey, what happened? And she said, Well, when the doorbell rang, I went to it and there was a nicely dressed man, so I opened the door and he just asked me a simple question. He said, Do you know Jesus Christ? And she said, I've been thinking about that all afternoon. And her husband said, well, why didn't you tell him that you and I are charter members at First Baptist Church, that I've been a deacon for 22 years, that you've taught a lady Sunday school class for 20 years, and you've sung in the choir every Sunday for the past 25 years? And the wife looked up at her husband and said, he didn't ask me that. He asked me, do you know Jesus Christ? So that's the question I ask you today. I don't ask you if you're religious, you sing in the choir, you're a teacher, you serve as a deacon or what you do. I want to ask you one question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? It's the only way to have the forgiveness of your sins, to have your life clean both inside and outward, and to live in relationship with Christ so that heaven is your home, and to have peace and meaning and purpose and power in your life every day that you live on the face of the earth. Do you know Jesus? Father, we come near the end of summer and we're convicted by uh, the scripture from Jeremiah that the harvest has come, summer is gone, and still some are not yet saved. So I pray, Father, for anyone here today in the hearing of my voice who's not yet accepted Christ as Savior, uh, to, uh, for you to, to convict them through the power of your Holy Spirit of their need for a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that they will acknowledge Christ as Savior. They will know him and put that relationship above anything else. And if they've not yet made that decision, they'll come today and make that decision. Maybe they'll come at the altar and pray to receive you. Or maybe they'll pray for somebody else who needs to make that decision. But Lord, let us look in our own hearts to make sure that if we're talking the talk, we're going to walk the walk. We don't want to be religious and lost and hear you say, depart from me, for I never knew you. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.